Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Uh, Today we're concluding a sermon series that we have entitled Summer Gardens. And this series has been all about cultivating the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And so the idea that we have coined is that in our natural gardens, the Holy Spirit produces supernatural fruit. Because there are fruits of the Spirit that God has called us to produce inside of us, but it is impossible without the help of Jesus Christ to do. And so we've entitled this series, Summer Gardens. And I got to tell you that this sermon series has been such an important series. And, And why preach on the fruit of the Spirit? Why does it matter? Well, obviously it's in the Word of God and everything in the Word matters. But I want to give you the framework that you've probably, if you've been here, you probably memorized by now. And I said this at 9 a.m. You know, I hope that you've memorized and, 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 you know, husband and wives don't weaponize this. Just memorize it. Some of you will get it and that's okay. Some of you won't. That's all right. But nonetheless, why does it matter that we even preach and teach on the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the framework has gone like this. Let me set it up with these three reasons why we would even teach this. Well, number one. The Spirit's fruit validates the credibility of your witness. You know, there are a lot of folks that have walked away from the church because we have been very hypocritical people. We say one thing, but we act in a completely different way. There are a lot of people who grew up in church and saw mom and dad raising their hands and clapping, but when they got home, there was no patience. There was no long suffering. There was no kindness. And so what we have to realize is the fruit of the spirit validates the credibility of our witness. So the question we've asked is, if you're a follower of Jesus, does your life attract people to Christ? Why does it matter? Number two, this is probably maybe the most important. The spirit's fruit validates the genuineness of your faith. As a pastor, uh, and many of you as disciples of of Christ, many people sit, and I no doubt there might be people in here today wondering if I'm saved. How do you know that you're saved? Well, uh, Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. And so Jesus comes to live, well, the Spirit comes to live inside of a a heart that has submitted themselves to Christ. And then the Spirit of God produces visible fruits. And it's that fruit that helps us and gives evidence to the credibility of our faith. And finally, number three, and I love number three because it's not about perfection. Nobody in here is perfect, amen? Nobody. Number three says, the Spirit's fruit, are you ready, wages war against the works of the flesh. So the question that we're asking you today is, is there a war going on inside of you? Do you feel the war between your sin nature and the spirit of God? Or have you just given up? Are we excuse makers? Do we justify? Or is there a battle within? I'm not saying you don't fall, but I am saying is there warfare? Y'all with me? And so as you can see, this has been an incredibly vital series And it's been a process of inspecting our fruit. And so for the last time today, uh, uh, we are going to talk about the final virtue. Um, I'm asking you to inspect inspect your fruit. Amen. Today, we're going to be examining the final fruit, which is, and maybe not fruit because it's not multiple. It's one fruit, but the fruit has multiple facets and attributes of it. And so maybe I could say, say we're going to inspect not the final fruit, but let's say the final virtue which is self-control. Some of y'all, maybe somebody needs to say, I came to the wrong, the wrong Sunday. I should have skipped this one. Self-control. 
my gosh. And judging by all the laughs, we are all imperfect, and I just love that. That's a great place to start in humility in this place, self-control. And we're just going to let self-control, we're just going to let it sit there for a minute on the screen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 5. It's been our theme text. Hopefully, you have memorized it. Um, if you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nonetheless, this has been our theme text, Galatians 5, and we are going to be working from verses 16 to 25. This is a letter to the church in Galatia written uh, by the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 5, uh, and I'll wait for you to get there, 16 to 25. You can open your Bible apps and do what you have to do to get there. If not, it's also, it'll be here for you on the screen. But again, we're just letting self-control sit there for a little bit, letting you immerse yourself in that. Uh, let's read the text, or I'll read the text and follow along with me. The scriptures read like this, but I say, walk in the spirit. We can stop there. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Mm. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. You see the warfare? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Wow. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now get ready. Seatbelts on because he's about to articulate the works of the flesh and we're all going to get hit with some bullets here from the apostle paul uh, he says this now the works of the flesh are evident here they come sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger Come on, I know about some of y'all. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I love that Paul said things like these because he's like, look, this ain't an exhaustive list. I can keep going. Because some of us are professional. We look at all of that. So, oh, that's not me. Well, I don't think so. I think we're all on there somewhere. But you know how we be, right? Well, mine didn't make the list, you know. But Paul says, just in case that's you, I got more. But I can't list it all. Okay, let's move. Then he says, now that I've told you what the, fruit of the, what the works of the flesh look like, now let me tell you what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. He says, well, before he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things, the works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, you wish you can kind of just take that part out, but that's the word. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, are you ready? Here's what the Spirit looks like. Here's the warfare between the works of the flesh. Are you ready? Love, joy, peace, patience kindness oh my goodness goodness faithfulness gentleness and there it is there it is self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus wow have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep step with the spirit amen now for those of you who remember about eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, I opened up this series talking about the attribute of love. And if love was strategically the first of the fruit, then self-control is strategically the last of the fruits. You see, it's the climactic virtue that summarizes the previous eight. It's the one virtue that not only enables us to realize the other, but it restrains us from the work of the flesh. You hear that? And so self-control not only enables you to uh, di display the first eight, but it restrains you from walking in the works of the flesh. It's here in self-control that the fruit of the Spirit reaches its consummation. Yet... In keeping with the garden theme, someone once said, self is one of the toughest weeds that grows in the gardens of our lives. You agree with that? Let me say that again. Self is one of the toughest weeds that grows in the gardens of our lives. So we're going to apply some spiritual roundup this morning. And judging by your laughs, there's only a few of you that even know what that is. Just Google it, you'll figure that out. On the weed of self in the garden of your life, because we want the supernatural fruit 
in our natural gardens. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into this word. Heavenly Father, we need you. I need you. I pray that your will and your word would be done in this room. I pray that you do, Holy Spirit, what I can't. Illuminate the text. Preach a sermon to every individual heart in this room. And though I say the same words and the same points, everyone in this room has different circumstances, experiences, and different places they find themselves in. And so only you, Holy Spirit, can illuminate. And so I pray, God, that good seed would fall on good soil so that you would get all honor and glory in our lives and nobody else. And we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. As followers of Jesus, now if you're in this room and you're maybe not a follower of Jesus, then you could just kind of sit back and listen to this particular portion. And I want to admonish those who are in Christ. As followers of Jesus, our greatest enemy is not Satan. Our greatest enemy is not Satan, but self. Now, you might ask, where do I get that from? Did I just make that up? Well, no, it's got to be biblical, amen? You see, the only spiritual harm Satan can do to you is in partnership with you. Peter said that it's the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. James said each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So you see, Satan, though an expert in temptation and sin, he's an expert, y'all. He's been around for a long time, tempting folks for a long time. Though Satan, an expert in temptation and sin, he can only come alongside your ungodly passions and intensify them. Y'all hear that? You have ungodly passions already there. And so Satan just does a great job of coming alongside of them and intensifying them. And he especially loves to do it when you're at your most vulnerable. You feeling vulnerable today? Maybe this week? Satan intensifying your ungodly passions and he only does it, well, he does it all the time, but he especially loves to do it, is what I meant to say, when you're at your most vulnerable. So we get moody when we get hungry. <laughs> okay, maybe that's just me. We overeat or overspend when we're sad. Oh, I got an amen on that one. Somebody just got their bill, looked at their bank statement and said Amen. We find relief from stress in the pleasure of pornography. We escape anxiety by drinking ourselves drunk until the anxious thoughts go away. We self-medicate the pain with substances like marijuana. Or... There are many ways we self-medicate. And whether it's something as trivial as one more Oreo. <laughs> so I say, wait, where's that at the Bible? It ain't there. <laughs> Whether it's something as trivial as one more Oreo or one more hour in Netflix. Anybody like that? Any of you binge watchers? I know my wife be like, save that for next week, babe. And I'm like, no, nah, I got to see it all. I got to go to the, I'll just let it go to the next. All of you laughing are in sin. I'm kidding, 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 kidding. But whether it's something as trivial as one more Oreo, one more hour on Netflix, or something as significant as sobriety or sexual purity, in a culture of overindulgence, self-control seems like an impossible ask. And it is. As I've already warned you, seatbelts, the truth is we want to submit to Christ. I would think that the reason why most of you are in church this morning is because you have a desire to submit to Jesus. Like you want to submit to him. You really do. But we're addicted 
impulsive, and enslaved to our passions. We are reckless consumers owned by our desires. Paul articulated our predicament perfectly when Paul said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but no ability to carry it out. For I do not do the things that I want, but the evil I do not want, that is what I keep doing. Paul said that. Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And if this ain't you, I don't know what is. If this ain't me. For I have the desire to do what is right, but no ability to carry it out. Wow. That's deep. I think we need to pause. And breathe. Maybe I just do. Because Pastor Rod's like, you breathe really heavy up there. Are you okay? <laughs> but I think we need to pause and breathe. And I think we need to stop being so churchy. Stop your pretending. Stop your performing. Stop your hiding. And let's just say together, like, that's me. Leaders, that's me. Pastors, that's me congregation that's me you know oftentimes the world will say that's me and the church is oh, I can't say that that's me that's us now at this point there's an important differentiation I want to make is that a word hopefully I said that correctly <laughs> I want to I want to compare and contrast it and show you a difference uh, uh, and I need to make it in order for us to really understand where we're going with this idea of self-control. You see, the Greek word, because the New Testament written in Greek, is translated, the Greek word self-control is translated, well, the Greek word that we translate self-control is the word enkratia, enkratia. And it means to exercise power over oneself or to bring oneself under control. What's interesting about enkratia is that it is not distinctively a Christian term. Paul borrows it. Paul takes a term that was already being circulated in Greco-Roman Greek philosophy. He borrows that term to describe what the spirit is producing inside of the life of a genuine follower of Jesus. And notice I said genuine. And kritia is not distinctively a Christian term. I'm going to geek out a bit. So for all my fellow geeks, roll with me. For the rest of you, deal with it. In ancient Greek philosophy, enkratia is one of the four cardinal virtues. And it goes along with prudence, justice, and fortitude. Aristotle wrote extensively on it in his Nicomachean Ethics. And ever since, Enkritia has been a key ingredient in multiple religious sects and schools of thought. In order to achieve Enkritia, some have even practiced extreme forms of aseitism like castration. Or even self-flagellation in which people will rip open the backs of their robes and with cords and whips whip themselves all day long so that they may find enquitia. This philosophy even gave way to a Christian heresy known as Plagianism. Plagianism denies the reality of a sin nature and teaches that by sheer force of the will, we can achieve enkratia and human perfection. Now, I want you to know this same philosophy exists today. Does it sound familiar? It's probably been rebranded as willpower or self-determination. 
Yet, there is a critical difference between the supernatural fruit of self-control that the Spirit produces and the pseudo-self-control of this world. Are you with me? Though the Apostle Paul may use the same word, it is not the same power. Oh, you didn't get it just like the 9 a.m. Though the Apostle Paul borrowed the same word, he does not mean the same power. So you can white knuckle it until you're blue in the face. You can make all kinds of promises and check yourself in into the best programs. You can meditate daily and supplement your meditation with the most skilled therapists. You can try all you want to avoid it, deny it, ignore it, remove it, control it. But at the end of the day, when you look in the mirror, you're still left with your heart, your mind, and your body. And the scripture teaches us that even our best human efforts are no match against the passions of the flesh. Proverbs 25, 28 is provocative. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Wow. Wow. You see, the fundamental difference between willpower, white knuckle in it, and the supernatural fruit of self-control is this. While willpower seeks to be mastered by self, the supernatural fruit of self-control seeks to be mastered by Christ. By Christ. Some of you have made your marriage an idolatry. And you think your marriage is your source of self-control. And so you go and you maybe get counseling or you participate because you want your marriage to be good. But that's not an enduring motivation. Some of you diet and work out and think that your self-control and the motivation is a nice body in the summer with a bikini. That's not an enduring motivation. You see, willpower seeks to be mastered by self the scripture says that's impossible. But the supernatural fruit of self-control seeks to be mastered by Christ alone. The only enduring motivation. Some of you are in this room trying to fix things and the motivation is not Christ. You see, true self-control, this is it right here. This little section right here is it. Like, you have to. If you tapped out, if you've been on Facebook and Instagram, now's the time just to, I know some of you are like looking up at me right now. It's all good. I'm no judgment here. Maybe you're just taking notes. But this is it right here. This is it. Are you ready? True self-control, are you ready? Is not an act of the will, but a free gift purchased by the blood of Jesus. Uh, we want books with 10 steps and we want to do those steps. And, and, and so that after doing those steps at the end of it, boom, self-control, right? This is counter. The gospel is counterintuitive, which is why it's easy, but so hard. It's not about doing. It's about believing. You can't earn it, purchase it, work it out. It's been earned, purchased and worked out in Christ alone. The key to true self-control is not inward, but upward. It's produced in us only after, only after. It's produced in us only after. Are you ready? We, in humility, first admit our inadequacies and weaknesses. It's so hard to see this fruit produced in many of us because you're not humbled. But that's not just it. First, it's a humility. It's an understanding that you are weak and you can't do it. And then only after that, we go from humility to then putting our faith, hope, love, and trust in Christ alone. Humility admits our weaknesses and only after we are in humility and we stop pretending and performing and acting and achieving, 
we just start resting and trusting and believing in Christ alone. It's then and only then that we are enabled by the Spirit to deny ourselves. And we're able to walk in the God-given boundaries prescribed for us in his word. And you're human just like me, which means when you hear the word boundaries, you recoil. Because you think that that's a restriction of your freedom. But what the scripture says is if you have no boundaries, you're not free because you're enslaved to your flesh. And so you're either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. So the question isn't you want freedom. The question is what master do you want? The good, beautiful, lovely, gracious, forgiving, life-giving master of Christ or the addicted, enslaved, weighted, burdened, shamed master of sin? Now, you might be thinking, sure, Pastor Phil, that's easier said than done. Easier said than done, right? I know as a preacher, sometimes I preach and people, you know, they get, a, they get upset with me. And I get it because I can be a little hard and challenging and I might not be your favorite preacher. I understand that. I'm safe and secure in Christ. That's all the affirmation I need. <laughs> Although I do have deep insecurities that need the fruit of the Spirit. But nonetheless, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's easier said than done. Well, you know, you're right. You're right. But you know what? You don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the addictions that I've faced. You don't know the wrestles and warfares I have. You don't know the many years I was in Christ in shame. You don't know the years that I spent in my house crying, asking the Lord to take it away. You don't know me. And so, yes, it's easier said than done. But when I stand up here, I stand up here as a living testimony of the fruit of self-control. And look, let me, I hope you're applauding Jesus and not me because it was not by my own effort or strength. Are y'all with me? You know, I've shared this story and, and this is one of my many vices in the past. Um, I have shared this before. But in the past, I've had, and I still have battles with other vices, but I stand here today free. But in the past, I have suffered with the addiction of pornography. I've shared that before many times. And I've had men, because of that testimony, come to me and ask me questions. And it's not just men, but that's who I deal with in this when they hear my testimony. And you know... What I often hear given to these men as godly advice, hear me out. Men will come up to me, and, and look, it doesn't have to be put on. Put your vice in there, and there are many. But you know what I often hear given to me when they come to me? What, what, the godly advice that they've been given usually falls in one of these two categories. And I had some guys with me the other day, and we talked through this. But it usually falls in one of these two categories. It's Moralism or pragmatism. That's the churchy advice that we give. Can I explain that to you? Because y'all look at me like, what is that? Moralism. You know, maybe someone has come up to someone and said, you know, I'm struggling with pornography. I don't know what to do. And usually it's something like, well, have you been praying? Have you been reading your Bible? Some of you are mad at me that I'm doing this. As if praying and reading your Bible has transformative power. As if you would do more, try harder, work more. As if your works and your trying, your doing has any power. Is anybody with me in this building? It's almost as if like the more spiritual activities that you do, that somehow that's going to break you free. Or moralism from, to pragmatism, which those are pragmatic things too. So these kind of blend. But how about this? You know, are, are you part of an accountability group? Have you read Every Man's Battle? <laughs> and there's some questions about Every Man's Battle as well. 
Have you downloaded a security app? You know, maybe downloaded Covenant Eyes. Have you blocked certain websites? Y'all with me? Now, some of you are looking at me like, wait a minute, we can't, we're not supposed to do those things. No, those are lovely things, good things, beautiful things. I advise those things, but those things alone do not transform your heart. They are external, outward works that if they're not dipped in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're just heavy weights, burdens, chains. And in the end, you won't measure it up because you'll miss a week of prayer. You'll miss a week of Bible. You'll sneak around covenant eyes and find another way. There's nothing wrong with these things. I need to say that because I give that advice. I'm not saying not to give that advice. I'm just saying that's not the primary advice. Y'all with me? Someone's still going to misquote me, but it's all good. There's nothing wrong with these things. They're needed I need brothers, sisters, accountability, needed graces of God. But they're only graces of God if they're dipped in the understanding and enduring motivation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's got to be your motivation. Some of us, we go to these groups or we download these apps because we want to stop looking at porn when the reality is we need to start loving Jesus. That's the aim. That's the goal. Some of us, our marriages are idolatries. We do all these things because we want a better marriage. No, you do these things because you want to love Jesus. And in loving Christ, I love my wife. Y'all don't hear me though. The goal isn't to quit porn or to read the Bible more. And I know that sounds very heretical. It's to fall in love with Jesus. And so when I read the Bible, it's to fall in love with Jesus. And so when I pray, it's because I want to know and commune with Jesus. And so we do pray. We do meditate. We do rhythms of life. We fast. We rest. We receive. But we don't do it from a place of performance as if doing those things is going to equal transformation. We do it because we love Jesus. Because he's worthy. That's why you download your Bible app. Because he's worthy. You love him. And if your motivation is to know him, then you're not going to just try to get through it. <laughs> Anybody ever do that? I do that all the time. <laughs> you know, you're like three months in. You realize the last month you were just doing it because you had to get it done. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why am I doing this? I want to know him. I want to just accomplish a task. Okay, getting off topic here. I see my time. Y'all look hungry. Self-control, self-control, amen? Amen, okay, okay. The goal isn't to quit this, that. It's to read the Bible, or not to read the Bible. It's to fall in love with Jesus. It's to remember that on the cross, he bore your addiction. It's to remember that on the cross, he took your sin upon himself. It's to never fail to forget that on the cross, your shame, your failure, your mistakes, your sin, your addiction, he bore it upon himself. And then he didn't just bear your shame and your sin, but then he gave you his righteousness, his perfection, his spotless robes of righteousness. So that when you stand before God, you're not in your dirty shirt, but you're in the spotless robes of Christ. And so the goal isn't to do more, try harder, read more, pray more. It's to look at Christ who did it all and finish it on the cross. That is the enduring motivation by which then you work. I'm not saying you don't do works, but your works have to be dipped and motivated by the gospel. Otherwise, they're dead. And that's where the Bible says, that the spirit begins to indwell in us. When the gospel is believed and received, then the spirit indwells. And he enables me with a power that I don't have on my own strength. And it doesn't happen overnight, y'all. This is warfare. It don't happen overnight. 
A lot of you know that I come from a Pentecostal background. Many people, why don't you have altar calls on Sundays? There's, I've had all these questions. And I believe it, and I believe on the laying of hands. And, and when we had uh, our prayer nights, we, I believe in the altar. I believe God works through the gifts. But can I say, some of us that come from Pentecostalism, we have been conditioned to think that it just magically happens in a moment. And then we get upset or like God's not working because we walk out of here and we're so struggling. And it didn't happen right here. The primary way in which God works is through a lifetime of sanctification. Thank you for that hallelujah. I thank God for that hallelujah because if it was about changing in a moment, I would have been cast out the church a long time ago. The gospel never gets old. We never leave it. We always come back to it. Okay, I, gotta, I already told myself that. Listen, so when somebody asks, how did you give that up? Or when somebody asks, why? All right, because we like it, don't we? We like our pleasures. So when somebody asks, how did you give that up? Or why did you give that up? We don't say, well, it's because my church has a lot of rules. <laughs> Some of you do because you got it all wrong. So when somebody says, why did you give it up, or how did you give it up, we don't reply because our church has a lot of rules, but we reply because I've made it my life's goal to please Jesus. And so when I do things, it's not to attract him to love me more. I'm already loved. Y'all feel that? There's a, there's a fundamental difference in the way I do war with sin. I want to do this, but I want to please Jesus. He's the lover of my soul, the author of my faith. He's the perfect, spotless, righteous lamb of God. He took on the wrath of God in my place, and he gave me his righteousness. I stand pure before the Lord, and though this thing is tempting me, and though I want to do this, and though my flesh is overpowering, I lay my life down because he did it first for me. I'm not trying to earn it. He's already given it to me. And so therefore I receive it. And now my works are dipped with a motivation that says I want to please God before I want to please my friends. I want to please God before I please my uh, leaders. I want to please God before I please my family, my parents. I want to please God before I want to please myself. And even in all that, you're still going to fall sometimes. But you're going to get back up because you're already loved. And you're going to say, I failed because I made something else my master. I repent. And I put Christ back in the middle. I made something a substitute savior. I believed that in this moment, I would be more satisfied by this than Christ. And you preach the gospel to yourself. And you get yourself back into a place where shame and the Satan's accusations can't destroy you. And then it's in that place the Holy Spirit comes and does a mystery. I wish I could give you the 10 steps. There's a mystery in there. At the end of the day, I can't articulate it well because at some point, the Holy Spirit just does a mystery. One day, he just does a mystery, a work. Amen. Praise God. That's the motivation that attracts the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we conclude with the self-control of Christ, because I would just want to look at him. At the end of this day, we're going to gaze at Jesus. But before we do that, I want to quickly give you three categories in which the supernatural fruit of self-control needs to be displayed. Now, this is oversimplified, y'all, okay? So, like, this is not robust by any stretch of the imagination. But nonetheless, I'm going to try to give you just three categories for you note takers in here to take notes. And you could try that there are going to be uh, these three categories in which you're applying the supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, I'll give them to you up front first, okay? Number one, passions. Now, we could also maybe call that emotions. Number two, appetites. And we got another way we can describe that is cravings. Amen? And number three, will. Or decisions. So this is the part that we just call you to inspect your fruit. Here it is. Passions or emotions. I'm going to ask several questions and you're going to be tempted to answer. Go ahead and answer it in your heart. 
But if you hear the question, some of you might not want to answer. But nonetheless, here we go. Passions, a.k.a. emotions. Number one, are you offended real easy? Man, some of y'all got such easily offendable hearts. Just regularly. It's hard to go a Sunday without getting offended. Cars will drive by and I'll wave, even though I don't know who's in it, because I know if I don't and somebody's in it and I didn't wave, pastor didn't say hi to me today. Your windows are all tinted and you still expect, or maybe that's not tint. Maybe you just need to take it to the wash. But you know, I'll be doing that because there have been times, well, you didn't say hi to me. You know, it's like a month. Like, how come this person ain't talking to me? Like, what? You just, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. So now, poor Crown Plaza, people get highs all the time. They're like, well, okay. <laughs> are you offended real easy? Do you hold grudges? Self-control. Are you dealing with bitterness or resentment? Do you have a hot temper? Self-control. Do you have a loose tongue? Oh, man, the Lord was getting on me. You like that, babe? Notice my wife laughed at that. <laughs> really? <laughs> Go ahead, baby. You're good. I'm off. Self-control. Do you have a loose tongue? Do you, do you use your words to hurt and harm? Are you argumentative? Some of you just like to argue. Are you domineering? Passions. Or how about this? Appetites. Do you overeat? Uh, I said this at 9 a.m. We need to do a sermon series on all of the like sins that are super permissible in church. Like gluttony. Right? We don't preach on that. We'll preach on drunkenness. We'll give you a good message on that. But no, we won't touch gluttony because after church, we're going to the buffet. Right? So let's just lock that down. <laughs> but do you overeat? Self-control. Are you unhealthy? Here's another one we can preach on, laziness. Is it right? I mean, these are all overlooked. We'll talk about the big sins, but ain't no one going to pick on your overeating or your late, right? But these are all issues of self-control. Are you with me? Do you drink too much? You smoke weed, like intoxication, right? This is an issue of self-control. You know, there, there are some people in here, the Lord's been telling you, you need to, you know, I want to say this. I, I came from a Pentecostal holiness tradition, and we were taught that drinking was completely a sin. And then, as I was kind of getting into my word, and I said, well, that's, that, that's, we're free in Christ, to drink in moderation. Now, some of you might disagree with me, and we can talk through the word about that. But it's not a legalistic boundary. We're free in moderation. But some of you are so immature that you use your freedom to sin. And there are many of you in here, the Holy Spirit's telling you, you shouldn't drink at all. And you still do it. Which means that you'd rather please yourself than please what the Spirit is saying. I got people giggling and laughing. I hope everything's okay over there. I'm messing, I'm messing. And, and you know, we're free. We're not a pretending and performing church, amen? Like if I could tell you about my struggles, you could tell me about yours, and we can all be sinners in need of Christ, amen? Yes? Okay. No finger pointing in here. If you're going to point any finger, you point it at yourself, and then you trust in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I still got to say the truth here. Appetites. How about this? Are you living within the bounds of biblical sexuality? Or are you satisfying the lust of the flesh? Y'all see that? And then will or decisions. Are you indecisive and afraid to say no? Self-control. Do you say yes way too much? Some of you are overworked. You're performers. Yes, 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 yes. You're not secure in Christ. And so you need people's opinions of you to be, you're afraid to let people down. 
Here's another one. Do you steward your finances well? Are you in debt? Are you materialistic? Are you stingy? The staff has been, in our staff chapels, we've been going over a book called Lead by Pastor Paul Tripp. And in the chapter on character, he explains how our financial decisions or the way we spend our money is a window to our heart. And how more staff and leaders, we need to look at their spending. And again, we're not trying to get all up there and be your accountant. But that is a way in which we can see if the Holy Spirit is producing character, fruits. You know, you want to know what somebody values, look at their calendar and look at their bank account or what they spend their money on. Look at their bank statements. You'll see what they value. Listen, you guys are doing great. We're going to get out of here shortly. When the spirit is in operation, he dominates the flesh. If you have a loose tongue, when the spirit is in control, there is verbal constraint. If you have a hot temper, when the spirit is in control, you demonstrate poise. If you struggle with lustful thoughts and wandering eyes, when the Spirit is in control, you take every thought captive and focus your gaze on Christ. If you're tempted to get high or to drink to the point of drunkenness, when the Spirit is in control, you find your satisfaction in Christ. You are full and filled in Christ. When you're tempted to get defensive, when you're tempted to win an argument at all costs, if the spirit is in control, you're reminded to lay your pride down, to lay your life down just like Christ. You see, Christ was the ultimate demonstrator of self-control. In his article, Self-Control and the Power of Christ, I think David Mathis just kind of summarizes it best, so I'm not going to say it in my own words. I'm going to tell you what he said. But before I do, I want you in this moment just to focus your gaze on Jesus. Because there's a temptation right now to just beat yourself up. Right? I mean, and that's what the law does. And can I say the law is a good thing? Because it shows you that you ain't as perfect as you, you're a sinner. But we're not going to just stop you with law. We're going to now heal you with the gospel, right? The balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now, if you're beating yourself up or you're feeling like a failure, I want you to now just look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ. Though he was hungry, he did not turn stones to bread. Though a king with ultimate power, he refused to take the kingdom by force. Though God, he humbled himself and glorified his father. He stayed the course even when his sweat turned to blood. And though he was innocent, he did not defend himself. And though he was mocked, he did not mock in return. And though he was slapped, he did not slap in return. And though he was stripped and stabbed, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. In every trial, in every temptation, he, Jesus, learned obedience through what he suffered. And at the pinnacle of his self-control, he was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. He is our champion. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our King. He endured it all, yet he did not sin. That's the one who strengthens you now. That's the one who strengthens you. Though the world seeks strength in self. Followers of Jesus find strength in Christ alone.
As I invite the team to come up, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pray for you in a moment, and then we'll dismiss. We are getting ready right now to magnify Jesus with our lips. We are getting ready right now to sing lyrics. And these lyrics are declaring the bigness and goodness of Christ. It's not going to be about you. And when we magnify him, when we make him big, when we see how worthy he is, then we can live a life in light of that worthiness. So that the next time you're tempted, you would say, I want to please Christ more than I want to please myself. And that would be your battle cry. And then you would trust the enabling power of the Spirit to do the rest. And so, as you process and contemplate in your own private space what the Spirit might be saying to you, let us magnify our Savior together because He is worthy.
And let me just say a prayer for you before we dismiss, but just uh, maybe a word of encouragement. There might be many of you in here today, if not all of us, because I think, I think we've all been, including myself this week as I'm preparing, so the message is hitting me. Um, and let's all turn our eyes to Christ, amen? He's worthy. And let us, with that motivation, we don't want to quit the things that God's told us to do. We want to read our word. <laughs> we want to live in rhythms of life. Right? We want to pray and meditate, and we want to gather in community and hold each other accountable. And, and all of these strategies, therapies and counseling, those are beautiful, good things. I support those things. But we want to dip that in the gospel. We want the motivation to do those things because we love Jesus and because he loved us and because he's worthy. Right? I do think sometimes I don't even feel like it because he's worthy. He's worthy. And so, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this room. If you're in this room today, and there's many in this room today, if you're in this room today and maybe you've strayed away from the worthiness of Jesus and you've found yourself trying to do things in your own strength and you failed. I want to call you back to the gospel. I want to remind you what saves you. You don't save yourself. So let me just tell you what saves you. Let me just tell you the gospel and then we'll pray. So with every head bowed, every head closed, just listen. Here is the gospel. The gospel tells us that you and I are a sinner. That even on our best days, we don't measure up to an infinitely perfect God. We are worthy of judgment. We are lawbreakers. And yet God put on flesh and came to this earth and he walked a perfect life. Though you sin, he did not sin. And then he was nailed to a cross. Why was he nailed to the cross? What does the Bible say? Well, on the cross, he took your place. And so the punishment and the wrath of God and the judgment, the guilty judgment you deserve, Jesus took it upon himself. But then he also gave to you his perfect record of righteousness. So the Apostle Paul says, so that anybody who would just believe that that really happened, I believe, I believe Jesus historically walked, lived, died for me. Like if you would just believe that story, like, what do I mean by that? Just believe that it's true and embrace that it's true. Then you will receive his righteousness. It's that easy. You're saved. Not by your works, but by his work. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group. Thank you for this room. I thank you for this series of the supernatural fruit of the Spirit. Lord, may we be a church that is ever growing, ever increasing in this fruit, not because of effort, but because of Christ and his enabling, empowering Holy Spirit in us. I pray for those in this room, maybe that find themselves in times of deep struggle. Maybe they've turned their back or walked away. Lord, I pray that your love would compel them. Forgive them. They would put their faith and trust in the gospel and they would live their life in light of that story. And that from that, we would be empowered to walk out in works to glorify our Father in heaven. So, Lord, we bless you. We love you. And we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, he's worthy, church. He's worthy. We love y'all. Thank you for coming. Every Sunday we're here. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your week. God bless.